Thank you, Pastor. Uh, it is truly a privilege to be here with you tonight. And uh, I knew it when I pulled in the parking lot. I just knew this was going to be a little real life. I knew it was going to be a little edgy. And uh, when the first guy pulled up and parked his bike out there, I thought, yep, uh, I'm, this is going to be awesome. And so uh, I am thrilled to be here with you tonight. And uh, when I met your pastor, uh, he doesn't look like every pastor that I have met. And I was also excited to come here for that reason. And I told my wife, you're going to, she's not, she's not with me tonight. And uh, I, I okay. Uh, my wife is, we have one grand, we have a grandchild. I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, well, there she is. Look at there. <laughs> she, and she, uh, she needed her grands to babysit her tonight because her parents are youth pastors and they have their biggest event of the year is tonight and so they she, they needed a babysitter and she ran in a hurry to get there and so I, I it's kind of funny you know we have four kids and they're all raised and on their own and we carry one picture with us it's none of them it's our one grandchild and so um the, the only reason i have to delete photos in my phone is because it won't hold like 800 or something like that I just, when I get to the limit, then I have to start picking something I've got 80 of and delete some of those. But it's funny how I think every picture of her, I just can't get rid of it. And so I just have to keep it somehow. And so I don't know if that does anything to my kids' self-esteem, because I never did that for them. <laughs> but I do for her. <laughs> anyway, she's down there, and uh, I've been getting play-by-play -play all through the day. So um, she's very happy where she's at. She's eight months and 16 days old today, so I kind of keep track of it as I go. Uh, a couple of things uh, that we carry with us, they're out there on the table, and everything is available and there for you, and I want you to, to take it, if you will. There are some books out there, and the books are Live Dead Journals, and I don't know if the Riles brought those when they came or not. Uh, our mission table looks a little more like a Live Dead display, which... It, it kind of is, and I don't mind that. I like that, and I like the association. I like the representation. I like the ministry of Live Dead. And so um, what that is, and I know you know a little bit about it, and I'll go into a little bit more of it tonight, but there are the journals out there, and I brought one up here because we now have them in Spanish as well, and I think that's great. Uh, on Amazon, they're $14.95, and I, we get them for $5, and so I sell them for $5. The reason I do is because I want people to have them. And so I would rather whoever gets the money for these doesn't get it if you get the books. And so I'm, I'm just happy that the books are in your hand. And I have told people, because I've experienced it, but there's a couple of pages in the beginning here where it talks about abiding with Christ and spending time with Jesus. And, I, and it's only like a page and a half or two long, just in the very beginning. I have told people, and I firmly believe this, that those two pages alone could change your entire life. For the person who's been walking with the Lord a while, it'll change you. For the person who's new in Christ, you absolutely need those two pages of this book to find out what living with Christ really means and what it's all about, abiding with him. And so get a book before you go. We, we sell out of them almost a case a week because we get excited about them, but um, I've got more on the way. They're probably at the house waiting on me. A couple other things that we've got back there is my live dead tree. You guys have already been picking it over, and that's great. Those are there for you to take. What those are is uh, unreached people group 
tags. And uh, these are done by the Joshua Project, which is non-denominational, but you can get these. And what these are is somewhere in the world, or all over throughout the world, there are unreached people groups. And we'll, we'll describe what those are a little bit in a minute. But uh, most of them are from Mali, which is the country where we're going to be. And uh, I might insert right here, not to be confused with Maui, because sometimes people just can't quite distinguish or, or pronounce the two. And so I've been actually introduced in the district at district functions as the missionary to Maui. And we're not Hawaii, you know, we're not going to Hawaii. We, have, we do have some things in common. I mean, we got lots of sand. We're in the Sahara Desert. We got lots of sunshine and warm days, but we have zero water. So if you, if you can deal with sun and sand, come our way. But if you're wanting beaches or water, don't come our way. But there are unreached people groups on these tags. Please take one of these. And the reason I would want you to take them is because these are reminders to pray for these people. And so whichever one maybe the Holy Spirit would lead you tonight to take, take that one and then pray for that. Put this somewhere where you'll see it. And then pray for this unreached people group, whichever one you happen to grab. Another thing back there is our prayer cards. We want everybody here to take at least one of these tonight. That, that's, I believe, is one of the sustaining things for us on the field uh, because of the prayers of the people here at home. And then finally, uh, just a little pamphlet here on Live Dead. These things are just wildly popular because they're pretty cool, actually. And uh, not only that, but then there's information about what Live Dead is. Whatever I don't cover to your satisfaction tonight, uh, you can get one of these and take it with you. They're actually a great conversation piece. The cover alone, I think, is a pretty awesome cover. And so they have done a good job with all of the stuff there. And it's back there. The only thing we sell is the book. Everything else, I want you to take something off of there. Please do, because uh, it just gets the word out, and, and, and that all helps us. And I'm doing my wife's part as, as, as well as mine tonight. But, you know, we have been... Pastor already alluded to it, uh, in pastoral ministry uh, all of our lives, really. And since the early 80s, we've been in pastoral ministry. And in 1989, we were prayed for prophetically and profoundly regarding missions, that one day we would serve the Lord in missions. But we didn't know how that would look for us or when it would ever come to pass or how to really even follow through on that. And so my wife and I did the only thing we really needed to do, and that was to wait for a door to open. Well, the door never really seemed to open, but the Lord always seemed to keep leading that way. But the door just didn't seem to open for us. And so we would go on mission trips at times, one or the other or both. And every time that we would go, we would, we would wonder, is this the place? Is this the kind of work? Maybe are these the people group that we'll one day be working among? Praying while you're there, Lord, show me a sign. Speak to me audibly. Holy Spirit, lead me. Is this the kind of thing that we're going to be doing? And never did I sense the door opening for us to follow the Lord serving him in missions. Then I went on a mission trip about a couple of years ago. And a, a long story that I don't have to time to go into. I'd be kind of cool in another setting. But the Lord opened the door for us to go and serve in Africa. And what happened is our four kids are all grown. Our youngest got out of the Marine Corps. He called us and said, I'm going to stay out here in California. I'm not coming back to Arkansas. And I'm just going to live out here now. And it was like the moment he said that, get this now, this is a crazy thing. Africa called me. The leader of all Africa called me and said, would you be willing to uh, not just love missions the way that you do, but would you be willing to come as a missionary to Africa? 
And you know what I said to him? I, actually, I didn't say anything. I was silent on the other end of the phone. Because, you know, you always wonder what the call of God is going to be like in your life. Well, for me, it was a telephone call. And so I didn't expect that. And so I was just silent. Finally, when, when I thought about it for maybe 30 seconds or so, I said, I've waited 25 years for this call. I've waited 25 years for this opportunity. My wife and I have, have prayed and waited 25 years for the door to open, for us to serve the Lord in missions, and now you're calling me on the phone and you're asking me, am I interested? I said, yeah, I, we're interested. And so uh, we went and we, when we met up at Springfield, and, and, and the part I'll skip over just to tell you this, we're so excited because now we know that we are going to be serving the Lord in foreign missions and we're going to uh, be your missionaries in the country of Mali. And we're simply here today because of one reason. I'm here today because of the call of God in our life. I would not be here tonight. I would not be standing before you. I would not have the opportunity. Pastor wouldn't have invited me. He would have no reason to. I wouldn't be here were it not for the call of God on our life. And I'm excited for the opportunity to share it with you. I'm super excited to share something I just felt the Holy Spirit inclining me as we were worshiping. Let me just insert this right here because this is for you and just for a new song. Whatever you're doing, keep doing. You don't need to change. You don't need to alter. You don't need to adjust. You're reaching the right people. You're reaching the people who need to be reached. And if there's any question in your heart or mind tonight about the direction or what you're doing or where you're going, let me just tell you the word of the Lord. What you're doing is right. Keep doing that. I don't even know what that is, but I'm just sensing it and feeling it all over. You're reaching the right people. You're touching the right pockets of the, of the community. When your pastor's going to the jail, that's a good thing. Because he gets to come home, I mean that. I've been in the jails. I know, I know that ministry. And that's an awesome thing. I just want to stop and pray. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this house right here. Lord, I, I sensed it pulling up in the parking lot. I was just impressed. But then I walked in the door, and I was even more impressed. And then I shook hands and met so many other people, and I was just convinced beyond any question. This is an awesome place, and your Holy Spirit's at work. Father, I pray that you would have greater freedom in this place. That those in this place who might be the more mature and the stronger ones in faith would just begin to trust you more and reach out more and be involved more and do even more with all the confidence in the world that the Holy Spirit is moving in this place. And I thank you for that. And for those that are newer, this is a place that you can trust and be uh, nurtured where you can grow and where you can receive uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and God in this place. This is a good, nurturing place for you to be. And Father God, I pray that you would just touch everyone's heart tonight through your word, that you're going to speak to them through me, and you've already done it through worship. You're already doing it through the heart of your, their pastor. And God, I just pray that this, at the end of the night that we'll just look back and say, this was an awesome night. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to minister tonight on a title of a message. The title of my message is, Who Are You Chained To? And I'm going to kind of unpack what that means in just a little bit because I truly think that we are all chained to something. So back in 2014, early part of the year, I went to Africa as part of a Live Dead Vision trip. 
And uh, Live Dead, just for those of you who do not know, or maybe just to bring those of you who know a little bit up to speed, is merely or simply a strategy within Assemblies of God World Missions. It's not better. It's not the best. It's not the cream of the crop. It's, it's not we're better than they're worse. It's, it's just a strategy within the Assemblies of God. And it is a strategy that has a target. And the target of, his, of the Live Dead uh, strategy is unreached people groups. So there are lots of awesome missions in the world. There's Project Rescue. There's orphanages. There's Bible colleges. Those are all great things. But those are somebody else's thing. Live Dead's thing is the unreached people group. And so much so that if they were to go to an area of a people group and, and just wonder about if there's any gospel been preached there, and if they were to go in and find that, yes, the gospel is resident here, then they would just change their direction and look for a different people, and they would go there because their target is not where the gospel has already been preached. Their, go- their target, I'm sorry, is where the gospel has not been preached. And so that is what Live Dead seeks to do. And an, un- and an unreached people group is simply this, a people who in their history, have never had that gospel represented to them. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know anything about the God that you know. And God's purpose, God's passion, God's desire for all mankind throughout all history has been for all people to know him, to be able to have a relationship with him. And because Live Dead's target is unreached people groups, many times they find themselves in some of the more difficult and dangerous places on the planet. They're seeking to reach the least reached people on the earth. And because that's their target, I like to think of Live Dead as being patient. Patient in ministry because we don't need the the cathedral with the thousands and the hundreds of thousands and as amazing as that stuff is. Really, Live Dead looks for one person. One person who needs to be saved. One person who's never heard the name of Jesus. One person who doesn't know God. And we can minister to that one person and touch that one person so that, so that he can have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the awesome thing about Live Dead is to me. That it's looking for one person to minister to. And for that reason, I liken Live Dead. And I don't know if there's any military guys here. But I liken Live Dead to the tip of the spear or the point of the spear. Because if you think of a spear, just old, old school warfare, and you would throw a spear at a target, there's lots of things that have to be in place for that spear to be worth anything. It has to have a tip or the point of the spear. Well, that's what I see live dead as, the tip or the point of the spear. Because it's the part that touches the target first. It's the smallest part. It touches the target, but it touches it first. But that point of the spear would be absolutely worthless, pointless. Well, it wouldn't be pointless. It'd be worthless without the rest of the spear behind it. Because behind the tip of the spear is the head of the spear. That's the heavy part. Behind that is the shaft of the spear, the guiding thrust and oomph, and the thing that pushes that point of the spear in through its target, makes it penetrate. So it's all important. And I'll get to how that fits for us tonight in a little bit. But live dead, I see, is like the tip of the spear that penetrates the target, the first thing that hits the target. And I say they're unreached people group, and they are. But they are unreached, yes, but they are not unreachable. So I went on this trip to Africa uh, a year and a half, almost two years ago, with a passion and a purpose. I had a reason for going. But then something happened while I was on this trip that I did not expect to happen. I stood before our church that we'd planted there in Lone Oak. We'd been there for eight years. 
and, and had no intentions of it being any different. In fact, I wanted to retire in that city. We were counting down the, the years, not days, counting down the years until our house was paid off because I was going to retire in that city. I was going to end in that, I mean, really end. I wanted to be buried in that city. I was never going to leave that place. And I stood before our church on the, on the Sunday before I left, and I told them exactly why I was going to Africa. They wanted to know, and so I told them. I said, I am going to Africa, and I'm going to pray for the unreached people in Africa, the land of unreached people. And I'm going to pray this way, that God would break my heart for the lost and the unreached people that are all around me in that place. And, that, and then I'm going to come back here and I'm going to convey to you a brokenness so that you can experience what I know by faith that God is going to do in me while I'm there. There were three places that I was sure I was going to see on this trip. One of the places that we were going was to an island. And so I said, I'm going to go on that island, and I am going to stand on the beaches on that island, and I am going to pray that God would break my heart for the lost and the unreached people on that island and around me. And the second thing that I, I said I was going to do is that I, am going to, I was going to preach in a church. And so I said, I'm going to stand in that church, and I am going to pray for the lost and the unreached people in and around that church. And the third one was special for me. I don't know what you picture when you think of Africa. Some people picture deserts. I pictured a jungle. And so I told the church, I am going to stand in the jungles and I am going to pray for the lost and the unreached people that God would break my heart for the lost and the unreached people. And that's what I expected to do. And in turn, that's exactly what I did do. What I didn't expect is that God would allow us to be an answer to our own prayers. And what happened next? is what I call my long day in Africa. And I call it that because it was at breakfast, at lunch, and at dinner, and then even later again after dinner that night that God absolutely, unquestionably, literally grabbed my heart. He gripped my heart for the continent of Africa. And by gripped, I mean he physically and spiritually grabbed a hold of my heart so that I felt him doing something inside of me that was real. And it was, it was not just supernatural, but it was natural. I felt it in my heart as, as I heard this story of an unreached people group that were just a few miles away from where I was sitting on that island. They're 400,000 people. Now, 400,000 people isn't just an extremely large group of people. There are some in the millions. But this particular one that I heard the story of, they were 400,000 people. But here's the part that I just cannot let go of, and I cannot completely, even today, wrap my mind around. What I can't wrap my mind around in these unreached people is that, yes, there are 400,000 people, but 400,000 people who in their history have never had the gospel preached in their entire well, island, there is not a church. There's not one church. There's not one Christian. There's not one known person to ever come from that land who has given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and served him. Now 400,000 people is a lot because that's 400,000 people. You can go back in history however far you want to go back. George Washington or the beginning of our country. Go back all the way to Jesus Christ himself walking on the planet. Those people have been there on that island. And generation after generation after generation after generation has been growing and living and dying. And every one of them going to an eternity apart from God. I just can't wrap my mind around the number and the lostness of those people. It just got a hold of me. 
I was sitting with a missionary at breakfast, and he told me the story of those people, and God grabbed a hold of my heart. I went and saw another missionary at lunch. He told me about another, the same story about the same people, and it happened to me again at lunch. I went to dinner and talked to another missionary. He told me the same story about the same people, and God grabbed a hold of my heart at dinner. The same day, finally, later that night, we were sitting around in a group, and we did this each day on this trip. It was half missionaries, half pastors, about 15 in all. And uh, we're sitting around in a group, and each day at the end of the day, we'd sit and just talk about the day. What amazed you? What impressed you? What broke your heart? And, and finally, when it got to me, the only thing that I could say that night was, I have no understanding for what God is doing inside of me. I cannot explain it to you. I don't totally get it. But one of two things have to happen. I said, you have either got to get me out of here or send Tammy over here to join me. And I believe that at that point, my future began to rapidly and drastically change. And to make a long story short, God used that unreached people group to grip my heart for the continent of Africa. And now in a very beautiful and confirming way, Tammy and I have been drawn together to West Africa, to the country of Mali. And now we are going to be your missionaries in the city of Bamako, in the country of Mali, which is located in West Africa. And so now, uh, a story I want to share with you from the scripture. If you've got any form of a Bible, I just invite you to open it up to Acts chapter 16. I should have given you a little more advanced warning. Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. And the reason I picked this story for tonight is because it, it illustrates something that I think is available for all of us. If you've been serving the Lord for many years, longer than me, and I'm, and I'm just a newbie compared to you, and you've been serving the Lord longer, this story offers something to you in your relationship with God, something that will propel you and help you to, to lure, uh, lunge forward or to jump start your relationship with the Lord in a new way, in a more passionate way. If you haven't been serving God all that long, and I mean like maybe it's just brand new to you, this is going to offer something so incredibly important to you. You really need to get some stuff from this message tonight. I picked it because it's a partnership that's available to every one of us, and it's one that Tammy and I especially need. The title of my message is really a question. It says, who are you chained to? But the truth is, that's a fact, because we're all connected or chained to someone or something. And so the real question is simply, who or what is it that we are chained to? And a little bit of interesting background for this story, too, tonight. Twice previous to Acts chapter 16, in chapters 5, and 12, the disciples were put into prison. And in both cases, in both instances, they were miraculously set free from prison. Angels came, woke Peter in the middle of the night, chained to other prison or guards, and he, and he just walked him right out through open doors as they opened in front of him, and on his way he went. It's crazy, amazing stuff. And then in Acts chapter 16, there's this amazing story I want to share with you. It involves another prison, and another apostle, only this time it's Paul. And then we get down to verse 16, and that's where I'll start reading. It'll be on the screen in front of you. Actually, it's Paul and Silas together. It says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Now in the next several verses that you would read down there, basically what's happening is this. Paul and Silas are walking, and they're going to the, to the place of prayer every day. And every day as they go, only there's this problem, there's this girl, and she's harassing them every day, badgering them every day, on their case, for whatever reason, every day, relentlessly, she won't leave them alone, heckling them. And finally, 
uh, Paul's had enough. So he turns around and he casts the demon out of the girl. It leaves immediately. And for that, the owners of the girl are not happy because they were making money off of her. And, this, and the scripture says they were making lots of money off of her. And so they have Paul and Silas drugged to the authorities. And as a result of that, Paul and Silas were beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was told, guard them as securely as you can. Now, if you drop down to verse 24, because that's where this story gets really good. Paul and Silas find themselves in a really bad situation. And the pressure they're in is going to reveal everything about them. Verse 24. The jailer, having received such a charge, remember, guard them securely, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in stocks. This jailer wasn't going to take any chances. So it's stocks and the inner cell. And if that wasn't enough, they're literally chained together. I guess because earlier the Christians had escaped. So this time... The Christians are going to stay in jail. Paul and Silas were literally chained together by links of iron. But here's one of the keys. You've got to hear, hear this part, okay? If you hear nothing else, this is like one of the most important things you've got to hear. They had chosen to connect themselves to each other long before this moment in their life. They're connected with chains, yeah. But they were already connected before this. And when the trouble came... They're already connected. And you're going to see in just a minute, Paul had connected himself to the right guy, Silas. And Silas had connected himself to the right guy, Paul. And so that's my question for you. Who are you chained to? My question is, who are you connected to? Are you connected to the right people in life? Do you have the right friends? Do you have the right mentors? Are you allowing the right voices to speak loudest into your life? Do you have the right leaders? Do you have the right spiritual leaders? Are you allowing the godly voices to be the loudest voices in your life? Who are you chained to? Actually, let me answer the question, who are you chained to, with a suggestion. Connect yourself to the right people before trouble comes. I mean, hey, this is a heads up. Because you have to make the kind of relationships in the good times so that you will have the kind of relationships that can sustain you in the hard times. Because when the pressure is on and the hard times do come, and they will, you don't get to choose then who you're connected to. And here's a fact. Pressure doesn't only reveal your character. It also reveals the character, the faith, and the strength of those closest to you. So my question, who are you chained to? Paul and Silas were first connected in a ministry partnership, and now they find themselves physically chained together. And I know that Paul and Silas had the right kind of relationship, because look what happens. Next verse, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, while they were singing, that is, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and he ran in, and he fell down before Paul and Silas, trembling. And he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, a whole bunch of things just took place. I want to draw your attention to three of them. 
for us tonight. First, at the darkest moment of their lives, when they're under incredible pressure and they're in great danger, what are they doing? Isn't that awesome? Because a lot of times, what do we do? We argue, we fight, we complain, we blame. We do all kinds of things. And look at what Paul and Silas are doing. They're praying and singing and worshiping. And so it was midnight. And incredibly, at the worst moment of their, true li- of their entire life, their true character is being put on display for everyone to see. That's true for us. When the pressure is on, what's inside gets revealed. When you face danger, your beliefs are on display. They're exposed for everyone to see. So we're going to Mali. And Mali has been called a frontier in missions. Now, what the frontier means is that it's desolate, it's desperate, it's dangerous, it's, it's crazy. It's like, who goes there? And they've also said of the, the frontier that the frontier will, uh, is, is kind of like putting yourself on display. So, kind of like this. It's like an orange that gets stepped on by an elephant. You know what you know about an orange that gets stepped on by an elephant? Everything. <laughs> There's nothing left to the imagination. It's all squashed, laid out there, open to see. I mean, no, nothing is inside the peel. It's just all out there. And they say that being in the pressure and being in the danger is the same for us because it exposes us. And pressure and danger does that not only to us, but it does that to you too. And honestly, this is my own personal feeling, I kind of feel like pressure and danger is a gift to the church because it calls the bluff on nominal Christianity. Now, Paul and Silas, they're in that situation, and there they are singing. Now, if you're like me, this is what I do whenever the Bible tells me part of the story, but not all of the story. I just got this overactive mind that just starts wondering things and fills in the blanks and connects the dots. I want to know, because the Scripture doesn't tell us, what songs did they sing? What was it that was that precious to them, that important to them, that high of a priority to them, that in a moment like that, in a dangerous place like that, that that was top of the mind awareness to them. That was the first thing that came out of their mouth. Not blaming Paul. You know, why did you have to cast that demon out of here, you ding dong? We wouldn't be here if you hadn't done that. No, the only thing they thought to do was to praise God, to worship God, and to sing hymns. And so I want to know, what was that song that was that precious to them that that's all they could think to do in a moment like that? It begs another question. What song will you sing in the dark? We've been told up front, difficult and dark days are ahead for you. We've been advised to do this very thing. You better have a song ready to sing. It's like, yeah, I think I know why. And the truth is, because this is the stuff that will sustain you. This is the stuff that will strengthen you. There's going to be times in your life when this is going to be exactly the thing that you're going to need. And we can attack the spirit of darkness and oppression through our praise. We can do that. We need a song to survive. But I'm going to tell you right here in Centerton, you need a song to survive. I've been a pastor 30 years, nearly. I can tell you, I have watched, and I've wondered a thousand times if I've done it once, why are people in church, seem to be all in, seem to be kind of strong and going in the right direction, and then it's like, what happened? 
Where'd they go? You know what I think sometimes? They didn't have a song. And when they faced danger, when they got under pressure, they didn't sing praise to God. They did something else. And so I ask, what song will you sing in the dark? The other thing that I notice in this is that the other prisoners were listening to them. And this is crazy because they're listening to the worship of two guys who have absolutely no earthly reason to be doing what they're doing in a moment like that. But it's another powerful truth. In your darkest hour, others see your testimony. And you know what? Here's the bottom line truth. Other people are watching you all the time. You may not think so, but their eyes are on you all the time. I'm going to just go out on a limb and just venture a guess here. People that are closest to you in your life, they know where you're at right now. And if they don't know you're here right now, they know you're here on Sunday. They got a pretty good idea of what you do. They know something about your walk. But they watch you. Because you know when life is easy, it doesn't mean quite as much to them. But when you face danger, they are watching you with laser-focused vision because that's when they want to know how you walk through the difficult times of life because it tells them something. It tells them whether your faith is real or whether your faith is just a matter of convenience. And they're watching you. They're watching you all the time. And finally, the last thing. Right while they were singing, right in the middle of their song, and without any warning, there's this violent earthquake that shakes the prison. Their worship ushered in the presence of God. Man, that's awesome. That's the final truth I want to share with you. Your darkest hour is an opportunity for the power of God to be revealed in your life. And this is the strangest earthquake ever in the history of earthquakes. As long as they've been around, this one is the strangest. Because the walls and the roof don't cave in. Instead, this earthquake throws open all the cell doors and knocks off everyone's chains. And this is certainly the most interesting part of the story because I would have thought, like previously, the earthquake was sent to free Paul and Silas from prison. Not true. They didn't leave. I mean, the doors were open. Their chains were gone. They were free. They could have walked right out, but they didn't. So why did they stay? Because God had a plan. God had a plan in this. God didn't send that earthquake to bust Paul and Silas out of prison. Instead, God sent that earthquake because he was trying to break through the heart of one jailer and his family. And again, I can't help but wonder, but is it possible that Paul and Silas went through all of this dirty, rotten, stinking, unfair, undeserved situation just so that one jailer and his family could be reached? I have to think so. And what do we do when we get in the middle of a, of a dirty, rotten, stinking, unfair situation that we don't deserve? I don't know whether you sing hymns and praise God or whether you gripe and complain and call somebody on the phone and tell them this isn't right. We know what Paul and Silas did and we know the end. But I want to encourage you tonight. Maybe, just maybe, if you're here and you're in the middle of a situation, not again. Not him, not her, not this. Not again. Lord, it could be that God has you right in the position you need to be in to touch that one person. Don't complain about the situation. Find out why you're in the situation and let God work through you in the middle of it. 
I'm not saying God causes these things, but he is ready and willing to use these things over and over again. And so now remember, the jailer thought that everyone had escaped. And when he saw that they had stayed, he asked, how can I be saved? You know what he's really saying there? I've been watching you. I've been listening to you. My eyes have been on you. I saw how you just went through difficulty. I want what you have. I don't have what you have. I've heard this. Jesus, I've heard this being saved. I want that. He said, how can I be saved? Verse 31, and so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, I love this story for many reasons. It fits our walk. It's good for all of us. I really love it because it has a happy ending. And I like stories that have happy endings. And so I like those because a jailer got saved. They became Christ followers that night. Hey, if you're here in the middle of something, you too can have a happy ending to your story, to your situation. It's right there on display for us. And so I just want to encourage you tonight. Who are you closely connected to? Who are you most connected to? Who are the people in your life who are you are allowing to, to have that place of influence in your life? Are they the right people, or do you need to make some adjustments? Hey, here's the crazy one. The single greatest connection that you could ever make in your life would be to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Connect yourself to him, and maybe that circumstance isn't as tight as it could be or as tight as it should be, and only you know. I'm not saying just judge for yourself in your own heart. You know what your connection to the Lord is like. It's as if, in the context of this message, that you're chaining yourself to God. The single greatest connection that you could ever make in your life to Him? I mean, why not see it? I just say, I'm chained to Jesus. I mean, I'm chained to Jesus. See it that way. Yeah, guess what? That's how He sees it. That's how He sees you. That's how he sees his relationship with you. Everywhere you go, you're dragging Jesus right along. Everything you do, he's right there with you. What does his word say? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus sees himself chained to you. Do you see yourself chained to him? I think that's pretty awesome. I'm here for the same reason tonight. Because I want to be connected to you. Or in the context of tonight's message, I want to be chained to you. I want to be chained to you in ministry. And I'm here tonight because I want to make the kind of connections in the good times so that I'll have you there with us to sustain us in the hard times that are ahead. And so we're going to be your missionaries in Bamako, Mali. And Mali has been called a frontier in missions and a pioneer work. Mali, where there are over 130 unreached people groups today. Entire countries without, with zero missionaries even and zero Christians in them. We need to go. Mali, where today the Islamic extremists are currently engaged for fighting for control of Timbuktu and the desert regions to the north. Mali, ranked by the United Nations as the fifth least livable country on the planet. What in the world does that mean? There are several things that the United Nations uses to, to rank the countries. Adult literacy is less than 25%. A healthy life expectancy is only 37 to 38 years of age. Infant mortality is sky high. Daily wages, between a dollar and two dollars a day. And it's a lot closer to one than it is to two. To bring it right into to where we can relate to it, 
It's a place where electricity would be considered a blessing. And water availability or clean water is no guarantee. Mali, where the Bambara people, where we'll be living among, they're 4.5 million people. They're completely unreached. They're 95% Muslim, 4% animist. The remaining 1% is a conglomeration of everything you can think of. And some of those are Christians, though not many. And some say, that's a lot of statistics. And I say, that's a lot of lostness. And so as we prepare to go, we've been asked questions. Every church we go in, we get asked these same questions. And maybe you're wondering some of them yourself. But we get asked these same questions over and over. I get asked, what about war? And what about living among an entirely Muslim people? You know, I believe that God does not intend for us to merely survive in that context. God intends for us to thrive in that context. I'm not going there just to exist, just to live, just to survive. I'm going there to thrive. I'm going to thrive in the desert. I'm going to thrive in the Sahara. I'm going to thrive among the Muslim people. God is going to be with us so that we are going to thrive in our ministry. Is it violent? Yes. But the only violence that attracts us, the only suffering as a result of violence that attracts us, is the suffering that we might experience as a result of taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. People ask, what about terrorists? You know, my response to that is, the original terrorist is Satan himself. It isn't a man anyway. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers and spiritual forces and wickedness, and they're all around and they're in high places. That's what Paul says. You know, the truth for us over there or you here is the same. If we fear men more than we fear God, we will fail. Violence is a reality in the Islamic world, but it requires a bold and a spirit-led response. In the end, it doesn't matter what others may do to us. We must simply follow Jesus. And when Jesus is our all-consuming passion, our dignity, our future, our safety, our well-being, it doesn't really quite matter so much. And frankly, my wife and I, we have already decided that the stakes are simply too high not to die. People ask, how do you get rid of everything and go and live in a place like that? And to be honest with you, completely honest with you, it was a little harder than I thought. We've been married for 35 years. We had things that we had acquired in our house that we did not hate. We actually liked some of the things that we spent money on at Pottery Barn or wherever to put on mantles and pictures on walls and and furniture and stuff like that, that you just normal everyday stuff have. I always say, I preached, I couldn't tell you how many times, hold loosely to this world's things. Don't let this world get a hold of you. Don't let the things of this world sink its clutches into you. Hold loosely to the things of this world so that you can drop them at any time and go anywhere, do any, I'm preaching, and do anything, and I would preach this all the time. Easier said than done. Our house, all of our possessions, my income, they're all gone. And when it got right down to watching all the boxes disappear, I thought it was going to be my wife's shoes. I honestly thought that's what she was going to struggle with. It was her dishes. And when they all left, she struggled with that. For me, it was my toolboxes. 
I had the most awesome garage I ever never dreamed I'd ever have. And when those shiny toolboxes rolled out and up onto the trailer and down the driveway, it was like, hmm. But you know what? In the end, it's a good life lesson. We can't take it with us anyway. And people say that sounds like a lot of reasons to stay or not to stay and not to go. They ask, how can you go? It's totally the opposite of the way that I look at it. Each one of those things has helped confirm more and more the call of God on my life. Me knowing that this is absolutely, unmistakably, without any question, exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And not only must we go, but we must go quick. Carl Henry wrote, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And honestly, if there was something that could keep us from going, if there was something that could stop us, it wouldn't be any of those things anyway. It'd be my granddaughter. She's just eight months and days old. And it was just, well, it seems like yesterday that I held her for the first time the night she was born in Fort Smith on December the 17th. I was in the delivery room. I was there when she was born. They wrapped her in blankets. They handed her to me. She didn't weigh anything, and I'm just holding this little precious brand-new baby in my arms. And she looked at me. I know she probably couldn't really see me, but that's not what I was thinking. We're just kind of communicating to one another. But then it hit me. And I had to literally, with that baby in my arms, turn and walk to the corner of the hospital room and just stood there crying and crying and crying because I knew there was a goodbye coming even on the night we were saying hello. And that hurts. But I'm absolutely sure of this one thing. I am absolutely that sure of God's call on our life. Samuel Zwemer, he's known as the apostle to Islam many, over 100 years ago, he wrote. He wrote this. Frequent setbacks and apparent failure never disheartened the real pioneer. Occasional martyrdoms are only fresh incentive. Opposition is a stimulus to greater activity. He writes, great victory has never been possible without great sacrifice. He asks, does it really matter how many die or how much money we spend in opening closed doors or in occupying different fields if we really believe that missions are warfare and the king's glory is at stake? He says, war has always meant blood and treasure. Our only concern should be to keep the fight aggressive and to win the victory regardless of the cost or the sacrifice. And so, is it violent? Is it dangerous? Is it difficult? Yes. Is Jesus worth it? A thousand times, yes, he's worth it. And so, church, it does not matter how young or how old you may be. It does not matter how big or how small your congregation may be. It doesn't matter how long or how little of a time you may have been serving the Lord. You cannot give too much. You cannot go too far. You cannot pray too often. You cannot work too hard. You cannot sacrifice something that this fight is not worth. And so we're going. And today we need your prayers. Paul said something that to me 
is so dramatic. And he said it to the church in Romans chapter 15. He said this, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ to join me, he says. And I would just like to insert in the context of tonight's message, he might have said, connect yourself with me. Partner with me. Chain yourself to me in my struggle. How? By praying to God for me. And so I am asking you, standing right in front of you tonight, to chain yourself to us by sending us. Chain yourself to us by supporting us monthly. Chain yourself to us by, as Paul said, praying to God for us. What do you get when you connect yourself and when you partner yourself with us? Remember the spear? We're the tip of the spear. You're not maybe going to Africa, but we're going. Maybe you don't want to go, but we can't wait to get there. And there's this target on the wall, and it's the unreached people group. For us, it's the Bambara, and it's right there. And we're standing over here, and we've got a spear in our hand. And our goal is to throw that spear and to hit that target and to penetrate that target and to... And to penetrate it with the gospel and that's our goal and that's what we want to do and the only way that's ever going to happen is if we throw the whole spear if we throw the tip of the spear only we're not going to be effective but if we have the whole spear we can throw it and not only hit the target but we can penetrate the target with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and so I'm standing before you tonight and I'm asking you Centerton Church Put your name on the shaft of that spear. Write your name as a church on the shaft of that spear. Write your name as an individual on the shaft of that spear. Be a part of that spear that's going to reach the unreached people. Be a part of the tar- uh, hitting the target. Be a part of taking the gospel. Be a part of reaching those who have never been reached. Be a part of making a difference in the lives of people who in their known history have known nothing but growing and living and dying and, and going to an eternity without God. Generation after generation after generation living and dying and going to a place where they know not where God is not and they're living and never hearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ they've never heard and they're never going to hear until someone goes what does Roman 10 17 say how can they hear unless someone preaches and how can someone preach unless someone send him and so we have roles tonight yours is to send ours is to go and we're willing are you willing to send Partner with us so we can reach those who've never been reached because I firmly, wholeheartedly believe that every soul matters to God. And every soul includes every unreached soul. And because every unreached soul matters to God, you have a a part of this. You get to be part of our desire, our dream, our passion, and God's desire for the lost peoples of the world to reach them. So when people ask, why go? I say the real question has never been why. The only question is how. How can anyone not answer the call of God on their life? And so as we go, we ask you to go with us. And hey, here's the greatest thing. You have just as much victory. You have just as much heavenly reward in being a part of the spear as you do the tip of the spear. It's all one spear. It's all one team. It's all one work. We're all part of the same deal. Why go? Because we're chasing the dream, the desire that God has put in our heart. Why go? Because Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Why go? Because every soul matters to God. I want to pray with you.
Father, we're before you. Father, your eyes are upon us and you see us. We're open and laid bare before you. It's as if we're the orange that got stepped on. You see everything. And I just want to encourage you right now tonight, church. Maybe through the message, something that was said, you've realized that maybe you're not as tightly or closely connected to the right kind of people in life. And the Holy Spirit would just speak to you tonight. You can do something about that. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been literally thinking, I'm not as connected to Jesus as I need to be. I want, in fact, I'll ask a question, and this is for between you and the Lord, but, and, you, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I think it's important for you to raise your hand and to know that you raised your hand. I'm not asking, are you saved or not? I'm not asking, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? What I'm asking you is this. Are you at a place in your life and you've, you're realizing right now, I need to be better connected to Jesus? I'm not even looking around. This is just for you and the Lord. You need to be better connected to Jesus. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and do what your Holy Spirit does best. And that is to convict the world or men's hearts of sin and turn our eyes to God, to you. I pray that you would do this now in this church and in this place. Lord, we thank you that you see us as chained and connected to you. God, that we would see you that way as well and welcome you and want you to go with us everywhere that we go in life. Thank you for this beautiful church, for the relationship that I hope we have forever. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the, the Lord impressed something on my heart during um, our worship time that didn't quite uh, fully make sense to me until uh, I heard Brother Walker's message. And I was thinking about, you know, right now we're seeing so much bombardment of just, uh, negativity is not the word for it. There's a lot of hatred and a lot of violence and things going on in the world. We're, we're seeing it. And, and there's not a believer out there that, without the help of the Holy Spirit, can't help but feel discouraged at times because we say things like, look at the way the world's going and those type of things. But, you know, <coughs> I think about, <coughs> not trying to be silly here, but my, my wife and I, we're watching some movie that's pretty touching, you know, and the chick flick, whatever you want to call it. But there's some hero that rescues the girl and, you know, he takes a bullet for her or whatever. You know, I, I aggravate her because I'll look over to see if she's got the tears rolling, you know. But, you know, that backfires on us guys sometimes when all of a sudden it's getting to us. And we're trying to turn from that and, and, and get away where they can't see. Because, because there's something that I've said many times. God has stamped what true love really looks like in everyone's heart. The problem is Satan confuses this world and changes it to where we try to find it in all the wrong things. Or there's so much brokenness in our lives that we can't recognize what it really is. And then for a moment, some movie maker pricks that little part in our heart where we really desire to see what true love is. And we want it. We want the hero. We want the true love. We want that. There's something in our spirit wants that, and it brings the emotion. And it's all kind of counterfeit of what God really designed. And, and when we think about it, there is no other true love than what comes from God. He is love. And all those things we desire to see, who is going to be the hero in this time? 
Who's going to stand up with, with ISIS, all this stuff saying, who is going to be the one to rescue? And all along, Jesus saying, I'm here, and I'm sending my people, and I'm sending them. We don't know that family in, in Mal, Mali, Mali, <laughs> in Maui too. We don't know them either. That is right now going through some of the most difficult times of their life. And God has chosen to send someone from a whole other country to leave a new grandbaby, to leave a life, to be there, to minister to that need so they can see there is hope through Jesus. They, they may not have seen any movie or anything, but there's still that stamp in their heart that says, I need a hero. And it's not us as a minister, it's Jesus. But we are the messenger to bring them that hope. And I learned something as I went on a long journey getting into ministry that until I was willing to let go of my resources, I'm not just talking about money. I'm just talking about my everything, my prayer time, my finances, everything. And to sow into another minister who is going, my heart would never totally let go of myself and let God use me fully because I always held back something. And that's the most di- one of the most difficult things for us to do, to turn loose and to surrender the things we hold precious as Brother Walker was talking about his toolboxes going, we, we hold those things. But you know something amazing happens when we actually test ourselves and say, God, I'm going to release it to you. I don't, I don't think I can afford to, but I'm going to release it to you because I know that right now I can't go where this person's going, but I can be a part of sending them. And that's why we support missionaries, is that right now God's not calling us to go to Africa, but he's calling someone who, who just like us, has a lot of comfort right here and is willing to leave it.